today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. I wonder, I wonder sometimes for us, I'm throwing myself in the boat with you. I wonder sometimes for us how many times we really and actually pray powerful prayers of believing faith. Prayers that are, that are full of expectation. Prayers that are, are, are a confirmation that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our God is a God who answers prayers. And we pray in boldness. We say we believe these things, but how many times do we actually find ourselves in that position to pray with that full understanding? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much depth, honesty, and complexity would you say is involved in your prayer life? From a simple prayer before a meal being a 1, and a fasted, isolated, contrite spirit of prayer being a 10, where would you say you're at? In today's message, Pastor David will encourage you to reflect on your prayer life and address the areas that might be lacking. In his study, you'll learn about the power of heartfelt, faith-filled, kingdom-driven prayers and how they move God's hand. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Move of God or The Move of Man. Last week, we started on our study in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. We didn't get too far. We were in the first chapter. We did an introduction. We got through about uh, the first 11 verses or so. And so from here, we're going to kind of move on through there. What we saw in those first 11 verses, it was the end of the 40 days uh, from Jesus' resurrection to the now, then the point in time of his ascension that we looked at last week. Luke tells us that he showed himself with many infallible proofs that he had raised from the dead. Luke also told us in his gospel account that on that last day, he had called the disciples together prior to his ascension, called them to the hillside near Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he began blessing them. And that's where in Acts chapter one, Luke brings in a little bit more detail down in verse 9, and we looked at it last week, but I just want to draw you back into the context of all that's happening. In verse 9, Luke here in the book of Acts says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I just want to add one more time, you know, as we did last week. This just had to be an absolutely amazing sight 
for these disciples. You're standing there, and at one moment, you're talking to the Lord. He's, he's raised his hands. He's blessing you, and then suddenly, he starts ascending into the heavens. Now, they've seen miracles of the Lord. They walked with the Lord for three and a half years. They saw even people being brought back from the dead. They saw uh, the, the miracles of lame being healed, the blind receiving their sight, the, the mute being able to speak. They've, they've seen tremendous amount of miracles of God. They even saw the resurrection. I mean, they knew for certain that Jesus was dead. And for a while, they were like really bummed out in life because everything that they had poured into had now been crucified on the cross and was dead. But then he was raised again and he showed himself those 40 days. So they had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. But I've got to believe that this one here, while they were speaking to Jesus and he was just lifted up into the heavens, I think they would have stood there with their eyes and their mouth wide open for it. No telling how long had it not been for those two men, and I believe that there were two angels that said, look, guys, you can't stay here all day. You need to be moving on because there's work for you to do. Okay, that's my paraphrase of what they said. But there had to be that certain point in their life where just like the, remember the, uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus where Jesus had ministered and talked to them for a while and then all of a sudden he disappeared. Well, this is different than the disappearing. No, here he was just simply lifted up into heaven while they watched, taken up into the clouds and beloved, that, that would shake anybody's world at that point in time. And there has to be at that point in time, just as those angels said, this same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as he was taken up into heaven. I think that maybe they were waiting. Is he gonna come again? Is he gonna come again right now? The angel said, now, go ahead. He's gonna come again, but not right now. So now they'd received the instructions from the Lord prior to this. He had told them that they were going to receive power after that the Holy Spirit had come upon them and that they were going to be witnesses of his in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. But he had also told them first to go to Jerusalem and tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. We looked at that last week. That's found in the gospel account of Luke. We'll speak more about that power from on high coming down uh, when we get to chapter two. But for now, let's now move to uh, verse 12 of chapter one. Verse 12 of chapter one. Luke writes for us there, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now Mount Olivet, or the Mount called Olivet, uh, the Mount of Olives, is just right across the Kidron Valley from the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And when it speaks about a, uh, it was only a Sabbath day's journey away, 
Tradition tells us that the Sabbath day journey was about 3,000 feet. And they got that not from the law of Moses, but they actually got that kind of a rabbinical tradition that when the Jews left the bondage of Egypt and as they were going through the wilderness, every night that they would set up their tents and the way that they would set it up, the furthest tent from the place of the tabernacle, which was placed right in the middle of the camps of Israel, the furthest tent was about 3,000 feet. And so traditionally, a Sabbath day journey was about 3,000 feet. So that's your trivial pursuit answer for the day. How long is a Sabbath day journey? Uh, about 3,000 feet. So we'll move on. So let's back into Acts. And the disciples here, they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to that place that was familiar to them, that upper room. And we actually find uh, there in verse 15 uh, that there's a total of about 120 people inside that upper room. So it's a good size. We have the 11 remaining disciples. We have the women that had been with Jesus throughout most all of his ministry. We have even his mother, Mary, that was with him and his brother. So we know that there was, uh, you know, beyond those that we know of for certain, there was about 100 or so more beyond that. So Luke tells us that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They were all focused, they were determined, their, 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 their mindset was all on the same thing, of one accord. And I can imagine just the excitement, the anticipation that they had there in that upper room. Remember Jesus said, go and, and, and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. He didn't tell them how long. So I think that as they got into that upper room, they're saying, okay, Lord, here we are. We're, we're here, Lord. Anytime, Lord, we're here, we're here. But actually, it was like 10 days that they stayed there and they prayed and they sought after the Lord. They had to be thinking, you know, what, what's gonna happen next? What, and then when is it going to happen? So for 10 days, between the time of the ascension until the day of Pentecost, from what we get in the passages here in the book of Acts, the disciples and these others, they remained in that upper room all of that time, perhaps sending people out to get food or whatever, but they're seeking the Lord, as it says, in one accord in prayer and supplication, in prayer and supplication. Have you ever taken just the time, as you've read this probably in the past, to think, how, what were their prayers like at that point in time? How were they praying? Well, let's, let's go to the experience of times when uh, believers gather together even today. We, we have a, a prayer time and we hear prayers coming out. Oh, thank you, Lord, for such a nice day. We hear prayers going out. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the lovely room that you provided for us to meet in. Oh, thank you, Lord, for these uh, grapes and these olives, this hummus and this pita that we're about to you know, consume here. Maybe there was even that one guy that says, Lord, help me get that pay raise. But I don't think that that was the prayers that they were praying that night or those, those 10 days. I think those 10 days, their prayers were completely different. I think that they were kingdom moving prayers, prayers from the very depth, the very core of who these guys and these gals were. Prayers that would go on something like this. Oh, dear Lord, cleanse our hearts. Forgive us, wash us clean. Remove all that doubt and all that fear that we've had over these last days or these last several weeks. Lord, send down that promise of your Holy Spirit. 
Fill us with your power. Father, work in our lives. Work in our lives for your glory and for your glory alone. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Father, give us that power that Jesus promised would be ours in order that we would be strong witnesses for you here locally in our own community, beyond that, and even to the furthest parts of the world. And Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness to be able to stand against every, every pushback that we're going to have, every, every, every attack on, on the witness as we go out to this lost world that's around us. I wonder, I wonder sometimes for us, I'm throwing myself in the boat with you. I wonder sometimes for us how many times we really and actually pray powerful prayers of believing faith. Prayers that are, that are full of expectation. Prayers that are, are, are a confirmation that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our God is a God who answers prayers. And we pray in boldness. Oh, we say we believe these things, but how many times do we actually find ourselves in that position to pray with that full understanding? Oh, sure, a calamity comes into our lives. A, a medical report comes back. A financial report comes back. A, a personal situation, a relational situation comes into our lives. And then we get serious about our prayers, and we're praying deep prayers. We're praying prayers from the very core of who we are. But I wonder, how often do we really pray knowing for certain that we can, as Jesus told his disciples, if you just ask, it'll be given to you. If you seek, you're gonna find. If you knock, it'll be opened to you. And Jesus had told them, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and him who knocks, it's gonna be open. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, that his father would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, that his father would give him a serpent or a snake. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus said that's the kind of prayers that are available to us. That's, that's the way that we ought to literally pursue the throne room of God with that kind of a believing prayer, that core of prayer. I mean, the question we really need to ask ourselves, did Jesus really mean these things when he, when he declared them? Or was he just teasing the followers? No, I believe Jesus meant them. I believe that we're actually able to pray with that absolute and total full assurance that if two of us agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's the words of Jesus. Can we trust those words? Jesus says, whatever things we ask in prayer, believing, we will receive. Are we constantly knowing? Are, are we really and truly praying with that confidence of Jesus' word to us? In John 14, he says that whatever you ask in my name, 
that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, he will do it. Now, I know that we come up with all kinds of uh, uh, answers or excuses of why when we pray an answer isn't there. Well, one of the things we know, if it's not God's will, he's not going to do that. I, I understand. That's not really an excuse. That's, that's, a, that's a real true reason. But I wonder sometimes if it's just the reality of do we really believe what we say that we believe? And when we pray, are we really and truly praying in faith or are we already backloading this thing that, well, I know God's probably not going to answer this, so what am I going to do in the meantime? What am I going to do if he doesn't answer it? Instead of saying, man, when God answers this prayer, when he answers this prayer that we've been seeking him for, that we've been looking for, man, I can see how he's going to move, how he's going to work in our lives. I have a suspicion that many of those sayings and many of those teachings of Jesus were returning to the minds of the apostles, the disciples, the women that were there, and the, that, that whole 120, that they were drawing back from what he was praying, that they could pray in faith. And Lord, you said that when we seek you, we'll find you. Lord, you said that we are to wait for the promise. And Lord, that's what we're waiting for. You said we were gonna be endued with power from on high. And Lord, that's what we're praying for. But you know what? That went a day and he didn't answer. It went two days and he didn't answer. It went five days, it went eight days and he didn't answer. It went nine days and he didn't answer. And some of you know exactly how that is because some, some of you might have been praying for nine years and that answer hasn't come yet. God doesn't always say when he's going to answer. I understand that. But should that lessen our faith or should we stand stronger in faith and cry out even deeper and, and just pursue God more relentlessly? God, you declared in your word. This is your promise to us. And we want your word fulfilled and we want to be found faithful to you. Not working in our own wisdom, not working in our own design or our own abilities. Lord, I want to believe in you. I want my prayers to be intense. I want my, my supplications, my requests to you to be directional, to be purposeful. I want to be able to pray with full expectation, with a full understanding and the full assurance. They prayed and they waited. They prayed and they waited. And then we don't know how many days into this thing it happened, but right in the middle of that prayer time, there seemed to be some kind of business that needed to be attended to. But before we get into that, there, there's just one more thing I want us to take a quick look at. Look again at verse 14, particularly the, the last portion of 14. This is kind of a little bit of a curious sidebar that I have here. Of the 120 who are in the upper room, Luke is very clear to point out that there were the 11 disciples, the ones who had been called the apostles, of course, minus Judas Iscariot, along with the women who followed Jesus, as well as what we find in verse 15, many other disciples to the number of 120. But Luke had also pointed out specifically at the end of verse 14 that with the group, there was also Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers, and with his brothers. 
Now Luke separates those separately from the disciples, the, the 11, as well as 120. He brings out the fact, his mom and his brothers. It's interesting that one of the issues that the Roman Catholic Church continues to deny is the fact that Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. Uh, they were born of Mary and Joseph. We could look back at John 7. I'm going to call out some scripture verses. If you're taking notes, you can take them down, but it's going to be quick time through them. But in John chapter 7, verse 5, they actually tried to get him to present himself earlier uh, than what the Lord wanted. Uh, there was a time the Feast of the Tabernacles was coming up, and his brothers, who did not believe that he was the Messiah, said, hey, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you go on down to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles? You ought to be there so that they could see you. And Jesus told him, no, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not, you know, he, he didn't go. Well, his brothers went on down, and a little bit later, actually, Jesus did go down. But again, they were mocking him at that point. And then we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that we read that Mary and his brothers, they came and they tried to get him away from one of his times of public teaching, believing literally that he was beside himself. Matthew 13 points out that the people in Nazareth, they didn't receive his teachings because they knew that Jesus was just a, a local boy. All, all of his family lived uh, you know, with them there. They, they knew the whole family. In fact, Matthew 13 down to verse 55, the the public, the people there said, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter's son? Well, actually, he wasn't the carpenter's son. He was, was the son of God. But they go on to say, is not his mother called Mary? And then they bring out the names of his brothers. His brothers are called James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Oh, and his sisters, are they not all with us too? They're not talking about disciples. They're not talking about followers of Jesus. Uh, they're not even talking about close cousins. What they're naming off here are his half-brothers, and they're bringing reference to his half-sisters. Now, if it weren't for the dogma of the Catholic Church and their hold for that continual uh, perpetual virginity of Mary, a, a, an ordinary reading of these scriptures, you would see, you would understand, no, Jesus had half-brothers and he had half-sisters. Well, for whatever reason of their stance, and I know a lot of the background of why they take that stance, but it's wrong, the Catholic Church is wrong in that, and the church, or, and the scriptures continue to remain superior to the dogma of the Catholic Church. Jesus had half-brothers and he had half-sisters. And although the, the, these brothers didn't believe him prior to the resurrection, we find out that after the resurrection, they were actually counted among the believers. Then his brothers were with them there in the upper room. As a matter of fact, the author of the, the book by his name, the, the leader of the church at Jerusalem during the time of Paul's uh, missionary uh, journeys, is the man James, and James was actually one of the half-brothers of our Lord. So now, next we're going to move into, moving on, we're actually going to move into a section of Scripture that I really wish that they had left out. It's hard to fully understand the purpose of why Peter is going to do what Peter is about to do, other than the fact that Peter was always the kind of guy that when he didn't know what he was supposed to do, he would do something anyway, okay? Or if Peter didn't know quite what to say, he'd say something anyway. 
I can relate, okay? I, I know exactly where the brother is. I don't know about you, but whenever I find myself d- just doing something to do something or saying something because I think something just needs to be said, it usually ends up wrong. It usually goes the wrong way. It, it, it's, it's hard to understand uh, for me uh, that, that the, the act of Peter coming up here is actually from the Lord. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for the open word.